Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Shepard is ready tonight. He is ready. He is ready. He is ready. Big enough thing, Bill. Yeah. Light up this nickel stinker here. <laughs> this jersey stogie. Bring it up. people in the past who've done it made themselves legends walking on water well now you can buy yourself a pair of inflatable feet gigantic vinyl feet that have pink tail rails painted on them with straps that go around your ankle see <laughs> you can walk on water oh man at long last you can join other immortals yeah let's stand let's go it's about evil friends i love it there ain't something that I can turn down. Oh, evil everywhere. It's lurking behind every little corner. <laughs> it beckons with, with golden fingers. It looks to make you better. La da, oh, evil. I say evil. It is every, everywhere. I'm a shee-shee-shee-shee-shee. Oh, baby, yeah, I'm gonna sing now. I'm shee-shee-shee-shee-shee-shee-shee-shee. Yeah. Oh, your love, love belongs to me, baby. At night when you're asleep, into your tent I'll creep. <laughs> the stars above will shine and will light our way to love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba-ba, you rule this land, baby, with me, because I'm a chic, 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 a baby. All together, sing it. I'm a chic, chic, chic. Some guys just, just can't close the door on them. <laughs> yes, tonight, friends, it's about evil. I hate to bring it up at this time of the week. Weekend coming up, can't you feel your gut beginning to boil and bubble? 
My God, just in a few hours you're going to be hanging around outside of such hot spots as McDonald's and the Dairy Queen. God, the Route 3 drive-in, the TikTok, the West. Oh, what excitement. What passion. And very shortly they're going to be moving up and down through the aisles at Great Eastern. Saturday morning madness has got them. Oh, I'm the sheik, sheik of Arabie. Well, all right, all right. Now, I, I, uh, word of advice, word of warning here, please. If I may have a word of warning, please. Word of warning. The following program is not for kid ears. So put your kid down in the basement and lock the door. Go on, turn, turn to the kid and say, go on, why don't you, uh, siphon some gas or something? Get out. Come on, kid, I got something to listen to here. Because after all, I don't want to, you know, lead kids down into the primrose path of crime and evil. But uh, we did get a letter here from a listener. It says, Shepard, and by the way, it was written from the slam. We have many listeners who listen to us in the slam arena. That's a true captive audience. <laughs> you know, it really is. <laughs> How are you, fellas? How are you there? <laughs> uh, George. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless... Uh, I, I got this letter from the Scandi Slam, see? And uh, I want you to hear it. Uh, well, I'll just read one line. He says, Shepard, he says, I'm here in the Slam. He says, I am paying my debt to society for what I've done. He says, I admit I've done it. And I'm paying my debt. But I want to ask you, Shepard, I've been listening to you for some time, and you've got a funny sound in your voice. Were you ever involved in crime? A lot of the boys have argued back and forth about that here. The old plant. Please tell us on one of your shows. <laughs> you notice they call it the old plant? Well, all right, boys, I'll tell you. Yes. And I, I'm only going to tell you this story because the, the, the statute of limitations has run out. Has run out. What is it, seven years? Roughly? I don't know. Maybe I better not tell the story. <laughs> Oh, well, all right, I'll tell you the story. Uh, yes, there was a time. Crime, you see, uh, has a terrible lure to people. I mean, some people uh, don't really, you know, don't push it aside and walk away when it comes up. Other people with great difficulty do this. But now there are different types of crime. For example, uh, one, of the, one of the grooviest crimes, of course, is jewelry heisting. You know, this has always been a great part of uh, literature, you know, the romantic jewel thief. <laughs> you know, the David Niven, and he's known as something like uh, the Silver Eel. And, uh, you know, he does things like uh, go to Monte Carlo. You always see these scenes where he's dancing with the dowager, and uh, she's wearing the Star of Belgravia around her neck, you know, 1,700 pounds of cut diamond. And magically, mysteriously, he disappears into the curtains, and next thing you know, the whistles are blowing and the gendarmes are out chasing them up and down the streets of the Riviera. Gendarme, if you prefer that. Right? Now, that's a dramatic, romantic crime. It's got the, it's got the overtones and undertones of, uh, of, of romance and drama and the rich getting taken by the poor, you know, all that kind of stuff. See? Well, there are other crimes. Now, have you ever considered counterfeiting? Yes, yes, indeed. There's hardly a man among us uh, with soul so dead who hasn't to himself at once said, I wonder if I could draw a stamp 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I could make put out to make a dollar bill. We had, we had a kid named Alex Joshway. Very funny thing about that, because uh, you know, money uh, has a very, very primal lure to all of us. There is not. They, they say that this sets the the true primitive man from the semi-civilized primitive man. That's what we are. Uh, it sets him apart is that he has a symbolic exchange for goods and services. Ergo, bucks. Money. B-E-A-U-X. Dough, baby. Oh, yeah. Hey, would you please uh, hit that music button again a little bit there? Give, give me that... Uh, Give me a little of that music, please. The, the, the one we played second there where I sang a bit. Give me the singing one, please. I just had a had a, a momentary inspiration. You know, you don't hear many songs about real love. Yeah, about real love. Oh, I love, I love Joe. Oh, give me some good old money. Oh, I love them greenbacks and all them little coins. Rattling and tinkling and just running around the floor. <laughs> Call me Scrooge, I love, I love, love money. I'm on blood brother to Silas Marner, Daddy Warbucks, I love dough, box money, D-E-A-U-X. All right, hold it there. That was nice. Nice. Let's let it all hang out once. You know, just admit it's kind of nice to have some of that folding stuff in your pocket. You know, you just walk around feeling 40 feet tall. Big dough. Now, now I'm not, I'm not, never had been uh, materialistic. It's the abstract concept of it we're talking about here. And so, counterfeiting has always had a curious lure to the, uh, the unwary. It seems so easy. I mean, you, just, just, well, like Jasway, for example. Alex Jasway, we had a drawing class. You took drawing in school? You know, we had this Miss Larson would come around twice a week and teach us drawing. Well, every week we would, you know, at 10.30 in the morning, this is in fifth grade when we're beginning to observe the world around us. When you're down in second grade in places like that, you tend to draw pumpkins, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. But then as you grow a little bit older, you tend to draw other things. I remember about the fourth grade, uh, it was Farkas, uh, who was very precocious compared to the rest of us. Uh, well, it was the first time I ever had the, uh, actually had the term paraded before me, erotic symbol. And Farkas had drawn a giant erotic symbol. And this, uh, I didn't know what that meant, but Miss, uh, Miss Larson thought it was extremely interesting. In fact, took Farkas down to the office. He didn't come back for three days. I think they were giving him tests. But uh, <laughs> it was a hell of a drawing. <laughs> Extremely realistic. But uh, never, <laughs> it wasn't really a symbol. It was the, it was the real thing. It's different symbols, you know. But it kind of caused the excitement there in the, in, the, in the fourth grade drawing class. At that time, we were running more to uh, houses on landscapes, you know, with yellow suns over them. You remember those great drawings, right? With shutters. Nobody ever saw any shutters in that neighborhood. Everybody drew shutters on the houses, you know. And uh, so Farkas caused a little excitement. Well, as we got into the fifth grade, the, the drawings began to change. Every kid began to drift into his own thing. And uh, you could see already the retarded were among us. Here we are, fifth grade. Some kids are still drawing pumpkins. 
you know, uh, 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 they got the crayon in their hand, you know. <laughs> Other kids were, you know, were beginning to experiment with flowers, you know, and all that. The, the romantic was among us, flowers and, the, and birds and stuff like that. Then there were other kids who were mechanically minded. They they began to draw airplanes and sell a lot of airplanes and, and cars and stuff like that. Well, Alex Jasway stood alone among us as being a kid with his eye on the donut. He did not get confused by the hole. At the age of whatever the eye were in fifth grade, Miss Robinette, that day that Miss Larson came around for the drawing class, we're all sitting there drawing away. And, uh, of course, we... We had long ago uh, uh, put the, the Farkas case of the erotic symbol had gone into the legends of the Warren G. Harding School. It was part of the legends at <laughs> the time that Farkas drew it. <laughs> and they still talk about it out there. By the way, Farkas in later life, due to, you know, uh, what happens, uh, the legend clung around him. He finally had to move, and he, he now lives in Griffith, Indiana, where they don't know what he did in, in fourth grade with the Crayolas. Uh, by the way, speaking of Crayolas, uh, you're listening tonight to a person who enjoyed the Crayola. I think the Crayola is an interesting medium. You know, the Crayola came in that orange box with the sort of green type all over the Crayola. Had a little window where you could see all the colors and stuff like that. And I used to like to chew on Crayolas. How many of you have ever eaten a whole Crayola, you know, just by nibbling away? Never, huh? Well, we had a little Crayola gulping cult that was in the back of the room there. We used to mainline Crayolas, and you know, it turned out that the best taste in Crayola, incidentally, was the yellow one, the light yellow, yes. I don't know, it must have been chrome yellow or something. It did something. It brought the roses to the cheeks, but uh, we <laughs> Also, we had a little cult of eraser eaters. We used to, you know, have these gum rubber erasers. Oh, yeah, I used to chew them all up. Doppler, for example was a great eraser. He even used to eat the ink type, you know, with the grains and the sand in there. He used to love to chew those things. And, uh, uh, for example, another kid, the Jack Martin, for example, uh, used to eat the number two Tigantaroga pencils. Uh, you know, the yellow kind, he used to start with the, with the, with the, with the paint. So he'd eat all the paint off of it, and then he would eat the red eraser in the top. And then at the end, you know, sort of as a chaser, he'd eat the lead. And uh, I don't even want to tell you what happened to him. This is... Oh, 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 wait, wait. Hold on a minute now. This is an important moment. Listen carefully. This is WOR New York, an RKO General Station, and listen carefully. This may be the most important thing that you've heard in years. Listen to that. <laughs> listen to that. And reset that, Bill. You have you are just listening to the finale, recorded finale of last year's Carnegie Hall show. What a fantastic night! And you know we're still getting tear-stained letters from people saying, "Why the hell didn't I know about it before it went on?" They were all, you know, that's the truth. Everybody hears about stuff five minutes after it happened. You know, fourteen guys missed the beginning of the world. They were sitting down there in the bottom of the water. You know, and it all happened. 
But tonight, I'm going to tell you, the 22nd of September, that's a Saturday night, this coming 22nd, write it down, Saturday night at 8 p.m., I will be live and making mean sounds, man, on the stage of Carnegie Hall, my only New York City appearance of this year. That's it, Dad. And if you want to see it, this is the only one in New York live this season. Saturday, get the babysitter all lined up live in person, Carnegie Hall. And, man, you know how important that is. I mean, this is where Tchaikovsky has his big day. You know, Rimsky, Korsakov, and Alex Satie, all those elegant people. Shepard is right there among the all-time Carnegie Hall greats. We had a fantastic time last time, though. As a matter of fact, I must tell you this. That show, personally, last year at Carnegie Hall was one of the most satisfying things I've ever done professionally. We had a fantastic crowd. And by the way, if you're walking around town today or next week, our, our Carnegie Hall poster is now up in front of Carnegie Hall. Take a look at it. It's a fantastic poster. It really is, isn't it, Jerry? That is one of the wildest. You know, this is a new art form of our age, and this is one of the best posters, I think, around. It's out in front of Carnegie Hall now. Now, don't miss the chance. The tickets are on sale now, and, man, they are really going fast. They really are. Carnegie Hall Box Office. Here's the story. You write to them or call them. Carnegie Hall Box Office, 154 West 57th Street, New York. I repeat, Carnegie Hall Box Office. 154 West 57th Street, New York. And if you want to call, if you're out of town, you want to call and ask uh, Carnegie Hall about tickets and all that, call area code 212-CIRCLE-77459. That's area 212-CIRCLE-77459. And don't forget, this is a Saturday night, so you better start making arrangements for a babysitter or whatever you got to get you know, an anchor on your kid or something, <laughs> whatever it is. This is Saturday night, September 22nd. You will be present in a scene such as this. Yeah. See, what you don't see is we have a Mount Vesuvius on stage exploding. We were shooting Roman candles into the audience. Men were passing up and down in the crowd, firing cap pistols in guys' ears. It was fantastic. People were swinging from the chandeliers. Dust was coming down from the ceiling of Carnegie Hall that had been there since Rimsky Korsakoff wrote his first piece of music. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, listen, we have another goodie here. It might uh, do you some good before you come down to the show the 22nd of September on a Saturday night. Give yourself a couple of Valentines. Make the show sound I'm a lot better. I'm going to sit there for half a minute because i got to ask some tough questions. Do you think all beers taste the same? Mm. Have you heard about the Valentine Brewmaster? No. What about the way he runs all seven breweries that make Valentine? Oh, poor Not guy. just one. Nothing but one. You know he makes the best tasting beer you can buy? Really? When someone asks you, does one yeah, beer taste better than yeah. the rest? Yeah, they ask me You'll give them the answer. The only answer. What do Valentine. I say? Valentine. Yeah. I'll tell them that. Valentine. That's the only answer, Tom. Uh, it's uh, brewed, of course, by the P. Valentine Brewing Corporation or company in Cranston, Rhode Island. I wonder what the P stands for. Oh, did I think of a bad joke? Bill, would you give me a, one of them little stingers? Yes. 
properly done. Would you give me another one, please? Superb. Once more. Oh, they got me in the knee. Oh, God, my knee. <sighs> yes, I have had a life of crime. You better set that up again, because after all, that stands for crime, and I... Uh, and crime stands for evil, and evil stands for bad news, and bad news stands for trouble. T-R-U-B-L-A, trouble, with a capital T. Yes, trouble, trouble, trouble. And I, I, you know, one good thing about learning how, you know, about crime early in your life is that you tend not to mess around with it later, because you learn it early enough. You agree with that, Bill, that philosophy? I think every kid should have a lot of experiences before he's ten. Because then by the time he's 15, he knows a little bit about life. And he ain't going to be so easy fun planned. <laughs> well, first of all, there was Joshua. Fifth grade. We're all sitting there, a quiet Tuesday afternoon. You know, just like now. It's a September. It's just a new semester. And, of course, kids at that period in fifth grade change rapidly. That's a great period of change. Some kids don't change so much. Other kids change fantastically. Jocelyn, who had been a little sniveling kid all the way up to the second and the third grades and the fourth grades, suddenly, all that summer, I don't know what happened. And even on the other side of town, I never hardly saw him, except when we were in school. He suddenly got giant. And not only did he get giant, he had an evil look in the eye. <laughs> yeah, it changed fantastically. You know. And so over that summer, things can happen to Jocelyn. For one thing, he got a job, we heard. And that'll change you when you're in fifth grade. And uh, we're sitting there in our first drawing class, all quietly working away there. I'm working on my usual pumpkin. And, uh, <laughs> you know, next to me, Schwartz is drawing an airplane. And uh, way up ahead, Josue, up among the Jays, Miss Larson is walking up and down. You know, you know that feeling of having a teacher look over your shoulder down at something you're doing? Got it. Then when she starts going... Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like a dentist. You've had a dentist look into your mouth and say, uh-oh. Either that or he looks into your mouth and he goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, Miss Blyfogel, come in here. Here's one of them. I wanted you to see this. They're quite rare. And you sit there, what? What's quite rare? Little do you realize you've got a rutabaggy growing in your mouth. You know, <laughs> It's been masquerading as a tooth for years. But uh, no, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, old Alex was sitting there. We were all drawing away there, and Miss Larson was walking up and down the aisles looking. She's saying, mm, very nice. Why don't you, you you've drawn many pumpkins before. Uh, why don't you try a cucumber or possibly even a tomato, since you seem to uh, enjoy doing vegetables? Well, I didn't realize this was irony. See, at the age of whatever you are in fifth grade, you know, quite cotton to irony, irony. See, so I kind of swat. I ate my uh, my green Crayola. I can't draw no cucumber. And she said, well, that's very nice. All right. And she moved on. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice. And she moved on. And you see, they had a thing in our drawing class that at the end of the semester, uh, the PTA had uh, what they call Arts and Crafts Day. And uh, the PTA had the show, see, and they sold uh, pineapple upside-down cakes, and all the ladies came with the flowered print dresses and stuff. And they hung the kids' drawings up, you know, the, the, the kids that drew the best drawings during the year. And I had prided myself on having a magnificent pumpkin. 
on the walls of the gym for four consecutive grades. And by God, I knew what my medium was, and I was sticking to it, you know. <laughs> and I, would, I doggedly drew pumpkins well through the seventh grade when I discovered Esther Jane Albury and began to draw other things. That was another story, and that does not uh, fit into tonight's, <laughs> tonight's story. But uh, nevertheless, in this fifth grade, Joshua's up there, and Miss Larson stopped. And she stood for a long moment looking over Joshua's shoulder. She said, that's very nice. That's very nice. And Joshua looked up, you know, he had this, he had sort of a burr-type yellow. I'll tell you, his hair looked a little like, like ratty goat fur. When those kids, you know, he was a, you know the kind of kid that's got scabs all over him? That's the kind he was, you know, scabs, and he had ratty goat fur-looking hair, see? And Joshua looks up, he says, oh, thing, you know, he looks at her and she says, it's very nice. She says, boys and girls, now we have often talked in this class about using originality. Now, originality means drawing something that, uh, well, that just isn't often drawn. For example, most of you draw houses. Now, there are 15 or 20 children today drawing houses. Now, many of you draw cats because you have a cat. And uh, you, for example, uh, Eileen Akers, you have drawn cats now for, well, ever since you were in the first grade. Why don't you try something different? Now, I'd like to show you what little Alex has drawn today to show you what creativity is. A very creative drawing. She takes it down. You remember that, that manila paper, that yellow manila paper? She holds it up. The entire class goes, <gasps> Fantastic. It was... A little echo chamber bill would do it. It was a magnificent, beautiful, full color, one dollar bill. Joshua drew a dollar bill. It never occurred to us. And you know, I want to tell you this. Joshua was one of those kids, you know, very meticulous type in spite of his... His goats for a hair and his scabs all over him. You know, the kind of kid that just draws little things, you know, sits away there with pens and stuff. Yeah, you know, he, he was great later on in geometry, drawing graphs and counting little squares and graph paper and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, certain kind of kids do that. He had this little tool, you know, called a French curve. You ever seen that? Yeah, you know, you draw with this thing. He always, you know, carried a little, uh, all the way through high school, Joshua was the only kid who actually knew how to work a slide rule. You know, we all faked it. You know how I used to do? We had a class who was supposed to learn the slide rule. I used to, you know, I put, I put the one over the two, you know, and you're supposed to divide 500 by 100. And I'd look and says, what the hell is this? And it comes up and says, hmm. And I never trusted it. So I would sit down and very laboriously divide 500 by 100, see? And I would write down the answer. Well, uh, Joshua, he was great at that kind of stuff. And he opened my eyes. In fact, the entire class's eyes to creativity. Did Alex draw a house? Did he draw a bird? Did he draw a pumpkin? He drew what secretly all of us would love to have stashed in our blue jeans. A magnificent dollar bill. And it was life-size. Beautiful. 
Well, he drew it, see? He wrote underneath the Joshua, see? And it was a drawing. Well, at that point, none of us ever really thought in terms of converting a drawing into, say, uh, 400 pounds of Twinkies or whatever it is, we, like, you know, seven uh, competition yo-yos and stuff like that, see? So that year, Joshua's drawing stood out like a Michelangelo, like a Michelangelo amid all the uh, pumpkins and the, and the butterflies and the birds and the houses. There was that stark, clean, magnificent dollar. He did a beautiful job, green and white. Had little ones on it. Well, at that point, I, I remember the crowds at the PTA all standing around looking at Joshua's drawing. Not one person that I saw, it's on my mother, stopped by to see my yearly pumpkin. <laughs> there was. Uh, pumpkins only got, you know, kind of thinner and bigger. And they changed a little bit, you know. And so that was about it, see. Well, that year saw a transition period. We began to divide off. There were kids who were, seriously went to Sunday school among us. Thomas Watts was a serious Sunday school goer. And, in fact, he had these little cards, you know, with drawings of... Uh, fishes and loaves and stuff like that. See, he actually became serious. He had these thick glasses. He was a Sunday school type. Other kids uh, began to drift into other areas. Some guys just relentlessly began to be hung up on girls. Relentlessly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and some of them have stopped to this day. I mean, once the girl fever hits you, there's no turning back. And that, that was the period, you know. And others of us, you know, started to, you know, shilly-shally around searching for that thing. And at that point, I'm in a Cub Scout troop. Now, it's connected with Josue's fantastic dollar bill, the story I'm about to tell. Because, you know, well, you'll see the connection. I was in a Cub Scout. It was actually a pack, a wolf pack. You ever been in one of those? The little blue hat with the bill? You know, with the little uh, gold piping and all that stuff? See, so, uh, <laughs> well, I was sitting right down at Cub Scouts one day, and, uh, you know, this wolf pack, you got these little beaver badges and all that stuff and, and uh, arrow badges and stuff. And so I'm sitting down there one day when, when all of a sudden Flick comes to the, to the uh, Cub Scout pack meeting with this fantastic new toy he had gotten. Uh, do any of you remember this toy? Do any of you ever, ever see one of these that there was a period when toys that they were selling, you know, for kids had a curious kind of, uh, how can I say it, uh, they were devoted to building, making things. This was the great day of the erector set. You know, the erector set. When you when you could, uh, you saw these big ads on the back pages of the comics. You know, it says, "Amaze and mystify your friends. Make this 17-story high Ferris wheel, actually driven by a motor." You know, the great big Ferris wheel. So it shows this thing going up and down. You know, well, well, uh, that was the period when all the toys seemed to run to that kind of stuff, and you could buy woodworking sets. And wood burning sets. You remember the, the, the needles that you'd plug in and you'd burn leather and you'd make your names and stuff like that on leather? See, oh, I got one of those and I want to tell you, I, I practically burned a hole right through my hand. You know, I, I didn't brand any leather, but I sure as hell branded my name on my arm. Wow. <laughs> Who we? But uh, that was a goodie. And, uh, but this one I'd never seen before. Flick had this fantastic thing. And it caught fire, man, did it catch fire. It was made out of metal, iron. It was like steel, really. And it came in two halves. And these two halves clamped together with a heavy brass clamp. 
and they had handles on each side, wooden handles sticking out. And on the top, when you clamp it together, there were two little holes on the top. And what you would do, you'd take a pan, put it on the stove, melt lead, which you could buy, and then pour the lead into these holes, and it would cool, like, in about two minutes. You'd take the brass clamp off, pull the two sides off like that, and what did you have? Two beautiful, shiny, magnificent lead Indians. You ever see that, Jerry? That's a great toy. You saw that, Bill. Fantastic toy, see? So, you know, immediately everybody started to flip, see? And you could change the inserts in these things. So you could take out one mold and you could make soldiers. Or you could take out the mold, you know, and you could make uh, like little Daniel Boones. All out of lead, see? And, and lead, you could get lead down at the hardware store. You'd buy this chunk of lead and you'd melt the lead up and then pull it in. You'd make millions of soldiers. So, you know, this caught on like fantastic. I mean, all us kids are, are making these soldiers and having a great time. You were supposed to paint the soldiers. You got a, a set with it, uh, the little paints, you know, you paint the soldiers, stuff like that. Well, one afternoon, we're down in the basement at Flick's house. And <laughs> this is when it began. It was my, uh, stinger, please, Bill. This was my first. Yeah, oh, well, I tried again. This was my first introduction to crime. Yes. Crime on a basic level. A basic level. We're down in the basement. Have you ever been down in the basement on a long fall afternoon and you begin to feel that itch inside you that you want to do something really, you know, something? You know the feeling? You know the feeling of, of the, the itchy feeling of doing something illicit down inside you? I have that about seven times a day right now. Absolutely. I'll tell you, the other day I'm sitting in a chock full of nuts and this bimbo sits down next to me and I want to tell you, whew, my chocolate brownie began to steam. You know? <laughs> I mean, the, the orange drink I had in my hand, which was ice cold the instant before she sat down, began to boil just out of sheer blood pressure. You, you know, just, she, I looked over there and I, I had that feeling. Right there, I was going to do something real bad right there in a chock full of nuts. Well, it passed, you know. I said, stop it, stop it. You know, I could see myself being hauled down, down to the tombs and, you know, George Brown calling him up down there. Oh, uh, the terror. John Wingate interviewing me while I'm in my cell, you know, the whole bit, see. <laughs> so I, uh, I went back and I ordered a tuna salad sandwich, you know, to cool off a little bit there. But these things happen. So I'm sitting down in the basement. Me, Schwartz, Flick, and Bruner, which incidentally his group later became quite infamous as really basically because of what happened that afternoon. We're sitting in the basement. Now, listen, I don't, want, don't, don't let the kids know that you can do this, but it actually works. We're sitting in the basement, and Flick has got a copy of Boy's Life. Boy's Life, which was the like, Bible and the journal of the Boy Scouts. Yes, the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts. You know, man, Uncle Dan Beard was always in the front there telling you how to track beavers and uh, how when you get in the wilderness, you should always watch for moss on the right side or on the left side or on the front side of fire plugs and stuff like that, you know, how to make a birch bark canoe. You know, all this stuff was very theoretical as far as we were concerned, living in the, in the steel mill town of Hamilton. You don't make many birch bark canoes, you know, in a steel mill town or track many beavers, you know, or, you know, mess around with moss. But for once, they came up with something that was great. Listen to what you can do. There was a 
drawings and the whole bit, see, about how it worked. You take a potato. And he had it says, take one potato, large Irish potato, a spud, a, a fresh cold one. Make sure that it's cold and it's fresh, uncooked. You then slice the tomato or the, the potato in one slice lengthwise, just like that with a knife. Now you got two halves of potato, right? Got it. Listen carefully. Then, they said, very, very carefully, take an object. Let us say a lead soldier. Let's just say for argument's sake, a lead soldier. Place the lead soldier in the middle of the potato, one half of the potato. Just hold it in your hand. Put the lead soldier standing, like on it, laying on its side in the potato, right? Just lay it on the side. Then take the other half of the potato and without moving to left or right, crush the two halves of the potatoes together. Crush it together until the sides of the potato touch. Now you've got a whole potato again, right? Clamp it together real tightly like that. And then at that point, take a nail and just put the nail down through the top of the potato between the two halves and touch the top of the, the soldier's head. Now, you won't believe it, how this works. You then remove the two halves, take the soldier out, put it back together again, and you have a perfect imprint of a soldier, believe it or not. Pour lead into it, Remove the two potatoes almost instantly, and you've got a fantastic soldier. Now, you can only make two or three like that because then the potato gets cooked in there. So we started to do this. See, we're sitting around there making all kinds of stuff. And, and, and so we, made, we made a couple of soldiers, and then uh, somebody said, uh, uh, Hey, uh, how, hey, hey, says, is it, what, I, I remember Schwartz says, Hey, how about this, uh, this Coke cap here? I got I, I, a bottle cap. Let's see if we'll make a bottle cap. So we made a bottle cap. It's because down in Flick's basement, his mother had this, like a, like a well, it was a coal bin that had been converted where she had all her canned goods and stuff down there, you know, her food. And she had this big bushel basket full of potatoes. So, hell, we had all the potatoes we needed, man. And uh, we had about seven pounds of lead we had down there. So we're ready to go. And so Schwartz makes a perfect bottle cap. It was fantastic, a little lead bottle cap. Well, we kept doing this, you know, maybe a half an hour, when all of a sudden, a guy who usually did not come up with this kind of stuff did it. Brunner said, hey, I got a quarter. Let's try a quarter. At that moment, my life of crime began. Brunner took the quarter pressed it into a fresh potato, we poured the lead, we split the sides. It was a beautiful quarter. And you won't believe that this works, but it does, friends. I'm not kidding you. It was, you see, in lead, when it's freshly melted and poured, is very shiny. Lead only gets dull gray like an hour or two hours afterwards when it begins to oxidize. When it's freshly poured, you know, like solder, Bill, it is bright and shiny, friend. And so we take the quarter out. It's beautiful. And Flick takes out his Boy Scout knife and trims the pieces of lead that were around it, you know. We had a quarter. Where once was one quarter, there were now two. Well, I don't have to tell you, we cut out the 
the bottle caps. There were no more soldiers made that afternoon, and for about three hours, down in the basement of Flick's house on Cleveland Street, this little gang of, of, of counterfeiters, this gang of evildoers, sat there and made quarter after quarter. And we got better at it as time went on. You know? We really got good at it. And after the first three or four quarters, man, they were coming out better than the mint turned them out. And we had turned out by that afternoon, well, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 beautiful quarters. That's a lot of money. I mean, there's only four quarters to a dollar. You figured out you've turned out 30 or 40 quarters, you got some dough. Well, the first day, not much happened, except we kid up. We put a pile of these quarters into a fruit jar and hid them in the coal bin. <laughs> the next day, which was a Saturday, we right back to work, see? We're sitting there making the quarters. Well, it came to about noon, something like that. And Flick came up with the final, the final brick in that, that fantastic wall of evil. Flick is sitting there. We all got our quarters all piled up. And by now, incidentally, Bill, we're dividing them up. Each kid had a pile of about 20 quarters in front of him. <laughs> and Mrs. Flick, she'd come down and go up. She never knew what we were doing. You know, the kids are just playing in the basement down there. Well, Flick says, hey. I'm going down to Aschenschlager's. Let's see if they work. Ooh, you know, wow. So all four of us get up and we stick them in our pocket and you know, Flick puts a whole pile of them in this fruit jar. He puts, and he had some other change in his pocket. That's how it works. We go down the street into Aschenschlager's stores and with a whole lot of ladies down at Saturday afternoon. That's the best time. They're going to be a counterfeiter. A lot of people, you know, making change and all that stuff. Flick is standing in front of the auction. What do you want? What do you want, kid? Now, come on. I don't want to try to mess around. I want two Twinkies, please. And he messes with the money, hands him a quarter. The guy goes, ding, 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 gives him a nickel back. And we're out on the street like that with two brand new fantastic Twinkies. And our life of crime had officially begun. And from that day on, for at least a week, we went around and we spent quarters at George's Bowling Alley. We spent quarters down at the newsstand. We spent quarters down at Mattingly's Candy Store. We spent quarters all over the place. <laughs> Until that following Friday. There was a great big headline in the paper. It said, Beware. Counterfeit gang working the area. A flood of counterfeit quarters has flooded the area. Beware. These are crudely done lead quarters, but it is obviously an organized gang that is working the area. So if you get one of these quarters, contact the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the Treasury Department, the following number. Who gave it to you? Where it came from? I want to tell you, it never A gang of organized counterfeiters were working the area. Me and Schwartz and Flick and Browner. That afternoon, after the paper came out, Schwartz met Bruner on the street, and they were both white as mashed potatoes. Flick spent 14 straight hours hiding under the front porch. 
I spent my afternoon out in the garage hiding under the Oldsmobile. We did not spend another quarter. And I remember that night. It was really a wild scene. My old man loved to read the paper at the table, you know, before supper comes. And he's sitting there saying, he's reading the paper, and he says, Whoa, say, I see a gang of uh, counterfeiters are working the area. I say, Mother, have you received any of those counterfeit quarters uh, in change from, say, perhaps Ashenschlagers? Uh, My God, people do anything. I don't know what's going on with the world today. Turns back, and, oh, the White Sox lost another one. There I am, sitting there at the table. I have stashed what's left of my counterfeit quarters in a hole back of the garage. I dug a hole and buried them. And I suspect to this very minute, right now, this instant, those counterfeit, because you know lead never dissolves. It's an eternal metal. It's a base metal. Those lead quarters that I made that afternoon with Schwartz and Flick and Bruner as part of an organized counterfeit game are still buried under sand out there in the Indiana Highlands. The wind blowing. God, crime is evil. Evil!